You've done it again, Lord. You've done it again. You are good and you are mighty and you are merciful. And you keep taking care of me when I don't deserve it. Praise you, Jesus. You are Lord. Give me another one, Lord. Guide me to who you want me to help. Raise up more that will call upon your name. Raise up those that love you and seek you and trust you. Raise them up, Lord. Raise them up. Lord, we need a generation of believers who are not ashamed of the gospel. We need an army of believers, Lord, that hate to be lukewarm and will stand on your word above all else. Raise them up, Lord. Raise them up. I pray for unity among those that love you. I pray that you open their eyes so that they can see your truth, Lord. I pray for your hand of protection and guidance. Raise up a generation, Lord, that will take light into this world, that will not compromise when under pressure, that will not cower, Lord, when others fall away. Raise them up, Lord, that they will proclaim that there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Raise up warriors, Lord, who will fight on their knees, who will worship you with their whole hearts, Lord. Lord, call us to battle that we may proclaim you King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray these things with all my heart. So good. Gets me fired up, you. <laughs> we can just go back into worship. Uh, starting a new series called War Room. Um, walking in victory through prayer. And uh, if you haven't watched that movie, or if you have watched that movie, which you, all of us fall into one of those categories, we should watch it again sometime in this series. Uh, because it really is super powerful. There is some biblical principles there that I think more than ever the body of Christ, uh, we as, as individuals, as married couples, as husbands, as fathers, as mothers need. Uh, I love it. Um, so the first idea is this. War Room, uh, it, it, it isn't simply about a discipline to pray more. Although, yes, do that. But it's about learning to take a posture of victory in your life through his presence. And so every week's going to be a little bit different. We are going to kind of get into the battle a little bit in the coming weeks and talk about the battle that's very real that we fight and the weapons that we have to fight with. We're going to dig into Ephesians chapter 6 a little bit and talk about those weapons. But today, we're really kind of focusing on the big picture, which is the victory that comes from God's presence. That... Um, 
that it's possible to step into a prayer life that is um, a bit anemic, that's a bit lifeless, that's a bit mechanical and void of the whole concept of what God had designed for us, um, and that is to walk in victory and power through prayer, through his presence. And so I really want to start with presence today because it's kind of the whole deal. It's the foundation for which we walk in prayer. And so um, Exodus, Exodus chapter 33 is going to be a little bit of where we land. And I just want to read a verse to frame it before we pray. And it says this, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tent of meeting. And I can tell you this, that tent had a table in it. And Moses met with God, the Bible says, face to face, like a man meets with his friend. And we're going to dive into some of the context behind that meeting, that incredible meeting. Uh, And today, the, the subtitle of our message is The Tent of Meeting. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for what you have in store for us. I thank you, Jesus, for the victory that you've called us to walk in through your presence through the power that we receive when we abide with you and are in tune with you and we move with you. And so, Father God, I pray that you'd open up our eyes to see you, Jesus, and the invitation you've given us to sit at your table, to hear your voice, and to move in intimacy and power. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, there, there is an intimate place of communion with God. And maybe you're here today and you've experienced that, or maybe it's been a while, or maybe you're just like, I don't know. I, I know church and Christianity, but it's a little bit more mechanical for me. Um, either way, I believe that that place of communion with God is kind of the whole deal. And it's a place that, uh, that David found. In Psalm 27, he writes about it. One thing I've desired of the Lord and that I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the the Lord, to, to, to behold the beauty of the Lord. This was his prayer. Paul found it. He talked about it in Ephesians chapter or Philippians chapter 3, where he said, listen, all that stuff, all my accomplishments, the things that I used to thought were, think were so important, I've counted them as rubbish in comparison to passing knowledge of knowing Christ and being found in Him. He goes on to say, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is through Christ, that I might, that I might attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul found it. Listen, nothing else matters but this. This is not a a place of religion. Uh, You won't find this place in a Bible study, a doctrinal handbook, handbook, or even a mountain of good deeds. But it is the place of power. It is the place of victory, and this is the place that we cultivate our intimate relationship with Jesus. Anybody with me? This is what we're going after. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I hate unnecessary waste. And I don't mean like unnecessary 
you know, trash. I mean, like anytime we make things more complicated than we need them to be. And it gets me in trouble sometimes. Because when I bump up against something and somebody or something's making something too complicated, I just lose all politeness. Anybody with me? Like if you're at a restaurant, sometimes this happens to us as a community. You go out to a restaurant and you're like, in a, you know, a group. It's not like a huge group. It's a group of 10 or 12, you know, and you get to the end where it's like time to pay the bill. And all of a sudden they act like they've never dealt with a group. Like this is their first time figuring out how are we going to get this done? right? The only option is one person pays for it. And you're like, no, we'd like to separate it. And they just lose their mind. And 45 minutes later, you're still asking, where's the bill? Anybody with me? <laughs> like, you're a restaurant. How can this be this complicated? Recently, I went uh, and got a storage unit, actually, for Heart of Compassion. We were talking about it. And so I was researching and trying to find just the right spot and the right location. And we found a little storage unit. And I went in, and I had already done my research to figure out how much it costs and that it's available. So I really, like, I had a few minutes. Let's get this done. Let's go in. Let's, let, let, let's reserve the storage unit, and then I'm out of here. And so I sit down, and it's going pretty quick. There's some forms to fill out and write some insurance stuff and liability stuff. And then it gets to the end, and I'm thinking, just let me sign. I've already said yes. I've already given your credit card. I'm, it's time to leave. And he starts in on this whole thing about like this, the, the lock that you need. And they have them for sale there, but it's tied to like some insurance. And so they give me the lock, and I'm like, great, I'll buy it. And he's like, well, it's an extra form. And I'm like, I'll sign the form. Just let's do it. And then he goes, okay, but... There's this form you have to fill out, but it's only a virtual form. And so get out your phone. And I'm going to send you a link. And you open the link. And then you do this. I'm like, are you kidding me? And so I'm like, well, my phone doesn't, doesn't open links. So I, my phone is a dumb phone. It doesn't do links. It doesn't do any of that, right? So I'm like, well, I don't have a phone that does that. And he looks at me like, we're hosed then. This is a dead end. And I'm like, just you're holding the lock. Give me the lock. And then, and then I leave and go to my storage unit. And he's just like, I don't know how we're going to get it done. And I'm just thinking like, I am going to wring your neck. Okay. I'm a pastor, but not today. Just give me the lock. And so I finally like had to convince him that I was going to like go home and do it online. And he had to call his manager. I'm like, are you kidding me? So we finally got it done and we have a storage room. But it was just like, oh my gosh, some things are just too complicated. I want to talk about two different stories and I want you to just follow me here and we're not going to do a deep dive into either, but I believe that God has something really special for us this morning. And the first story is David. And I say, I share that story because David found himself in a place where he's like, you know what? We can simplify and I, I've, shared, I've shared on this message before because it's one of my favorites, but it's the story of when David went and got the ark. The ark is a big gold box. It's really heavy, like really heavy. It's made of gold, and it carries the presence of God. Well, the Philistines had stolen it because they think God's blessing the, the Israelites. Let's steal it, and maybe God will bless us. It didn't work out for them, and so David's like, let's get it back. David had just become king. Let's get it back. And then I can bring it in to, to the, you know, the city of David and we can, you know, really succeed. So David gets the ark, but he suddenly realizes that it's too complicated. 
because the ark is carried by long poles and you have like, like four guys on each side. So there's like a lot of guys carrying this thing, which requires a lot of coordination. I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Four guys carrying a dude on a mat is hard enough. Now you're talking about more guys than that carrying a huge heavy box through rugged terrain. How many times would they have to stop and go, I got to go to the bathroom? Like, God, you're going to have to wait for a second because I got to go, right? Or how many times does somebody like sprain their ankle? Like, Fernando, you just sprained your ankle. And how many times did that happen? You're like, we're going to have to stop for the night because I can't carry this thing anymore. It was a complicated deal. And so David goes, let's put it on a cart. And we see, we're not going to read the scripture, but um, if you want to read it yourself, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where David says, there's a cart right there. And it's carrying like shovels and hay, and the kids are riding on it. And he's looking at the cart, and he's looking at the guys, and he's doing a double take, cart, guys. And he's like, hey, let's put the cart, the box on the cart, and no guys necessary. And we can travel way faster. This is amazing, right? And sure enough, David puts it on the cart. They start rolling. Oxen stumbles. Uzzah, like the main general dude, reaches out to grab the cart from falling. And God kills him because it's like, you can't touch the box, even if you're Uzzah. And it didn't go well for him. And David got mad. And he's like, really, God? I just streamlined this, lined this whole process, and, and now you're killing my dude. There's a massive lesson here, because there is a cart parked outside your door every single day saying, hey, let's take this organic, sometimes messy relationship that you have with me, and let's streamline it into a religion, into some clear do's and don'ts, into, let me check the boxes, let me just go through the motions, feel good about myself, and I can just go, go on down the road, and we're good, right? God, we're good. I went to church, check. I did my devotions, check. I was pretty much good on my language, check. We're good. And God's like, rubbish. I don't want any of that. So God says, I'm going to go to Obedinum's house. Put me, in, put me in a home. Why? Well, because the war room starts at home. The war room starts with what you orient your life around. So the ark went home to Obedidim, and Obedidim's whole house had a revival. And, and, and the ark was placed in the middle of Obedidim's home, and there was an absolute revival. And I'll tell you what, guys, I've been super convicted this week. Like, what is my home oriented around? I like TV, I like shows, I like movies. My kids like video games. I like junk food. I like having a good time. I like swimming in the pool. And none of those things are bad. I mean, they can be, but in my house, they're not bad. I watch what I, I, you know, I I'm careful about what we watch and what we play and all those things. But at the end of the day, I ask myself, like, what is my home oriented around? And I had a check in my spirit. And I had a conversation with my wife. Like, is our home too oriented around things that have nothing to do with the presence of God in our home? It's just a question. And you know what? It's not a checkbox. 
It's messy. There is no box to check. And I think that sometimes we come to this thing called Christianity and we ask, just tell me what to do. Tell me what I got to do. I get this all the time for people who want to be discipled. Tell me what to do. And it's like, okay, I can give you a good book and I give you some scriptures to read. But like, it's not that simple because it's not a checkbox. It can be if you want to place your relationship on a cart and have something else carry it for you so that you can put it on autopilot. But Jesus is like, I don't want to be on a cart. I want to be carried by you in your home, in the center, orienting my life around you. This is the war room. This is what we're called to. This is beautiful. This is powerful. And it's a little convicting. Anybody with me? You guys are like, man, I'm rethinking everything. The children of Israel were in a similar situation. So this is David. And David was trying to make things less complicated. He really wanted something that was a little more convenient. And and I can relate with that. I can relate with a faith, with a Christianity, that, that I'd like to be a little bit more convenient, a little bit more black and white, a little bit more cut and dry. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what boxes to check. And I'll do those things. And, and God said, no, that's, that's, not, that's not what I'm, I'm leading you into. The children of Israel, they wanted something less intimidating. See, they struggled, before, they struggled coming before an almighty God. They had been slaves for 400 years. So they trump any one of our stories. And we're coming, we're coming to a story that is super well-known in the Bible, but you have to understand the context. The children of Israel have not been out of, the, out of slavery for that, that long at this point in the story. We know they, they wandered the desert for 40 years, but this is like on year one or two. This is like very early on where we're coming to this story, and they're super intimidated by by God, because all they know for 400 years, story after story after story after generation after generation passed down on them, what is it like to interact with, talk with, associate with the the one in charge? And I'll tell you, in Egypt, it wasn't pleasant. They would never have an audience with Pharaoh, ever. If If they ever did, they would die. And so they're coming to the table going, there's no way I'm sitting down at that table. No, Moses, that's, that's what we're going to have. We're going to have Moses do it. Moses, if you want to die, you go for it. We know how this goes. They're slaves and they're still slaves in their mind. And I think that you and I, if we're honest, can relate a lot with that because there's places in our lives where we're still slave mentality like not worthy. And so they said, Moses, um, you talk to God. And while you're up there, we're going to create something that we can relate to. We're going to create something that we can worship that accepts us for who we are. Something that will always be there for us, that will never judge us. Something that we can turn to on our bad days when we're at our worst We can always turn to this thing. Listen, we believe in God. I get it. Like we've seen all the miracles. We actually see visibly the lightning and thunder on Mount Sinai. Moses is up there and they're down and they're creating something that they can relate with. Like God, 
but not God, something less intimidating. And it's called a golden calf. Because see, you and I will always worship something. It's, it's not an option to just opt out of worship. Which is why we ask the question, what is our home oriented around? So they create a calf. And this is the setting that we see Exodus chapter 33 and the tent of meeting. That beautiful scripture. Put it, actually put it back up there. Uh, it was at the very beginning of the slideshow. Um, it says, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tent of meeting. What comes next is what I absolutely love, and it's the whole point of today. Because we can relate with David and go, hey, sometimes this just becomes a little bit more like religion. And sometimes I don't feel worthy to come before an almighty God. And so for both of those reasons, sometimes we opt out of the table. It's one thing to know the table is there and available for you to sit at, but sometimes it's just for those reasons we opt out and... Here we are in this moment, and it's, it's a bad moment. It's the great fall. See, God did everything for the children of Israel. He delivered them out of bondage. And you know the plagues and, and, and the way that he delivered them, and then he parted the Red Sea and killed all of his enemies, and now they're on the other side leading them into the promised land, and then they had a river. They literally had a river following them so that they could have clean water. Oh, and by the way, their sandals never wore out, ever. They just walked and they were always good. They were even clean. They were all white too. It was amazing. And they had food falling from the sky. Like, they had a pillar at night and a cloud by day to follow God was good, and I don't know that any of them would have said God isn't good. But we don't feel worthy, and so, and so there was a great fall. God did everything, and it wasn't enough. Things looked bad. They were slaves acting like slaves. Anybody relate? I am sinful, I was born into sin. I have gone wayward. And guess what? You and me, sometimes we act like slaves too. But Moses, he said, not today. Because God was ready to just go, stiff-necked people, I'll still take you into the promised land, but you want a box to check? That's fine. I, I don't know what to do. And Moses stepped in and said, no, not today. So he pitched a tent outside the, the camp for the presence of the Lord. And then he went before God and said, God, I know you think these people are stiff-necked, but listen, I can make atonement for them. I can sacrifice for them. You can't give up on them. And then if that wasn't enough, he said, your presence must go with us. Because God said, okay, fine, I get it. I'll send my angel. And he goes, no, that's not enough. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. Moses stood in the gap for the people, and this was a pinnacle time before anything else happened. As soon as they came out of the promised land, this moment happened. It was a great fall and a great intervention. Here's what I love. Here's what I love. 
Moses is a foreshadowing. We see it in Hebrews chapter 3. Moses is a shadow of things to come, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 3, come on. This is so cool. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus was faithful to the Father in the same way Moses was a model of faithfulness, a model. Indeed, Moses served God faithfully in all he gave him to do. His work was prophetically illustrates the things that we would, he would later be spoken about. The revelation of Christ to come. See, you and I, we were wayward. We still go wayward. And as we talk about the war room, as we talk about the table, as we talk about this moment and this opportunity to flow in the presence of God, we have to come to grips with the fact that, A, sometimes we just want something that we can put on a cart, something that's simple, something that doesn't require us and our engagement. But then oftentimes, man, we're, we're distant because I don't know if God's going to accept me. I don't know if I'm worthy. I don't know if I'm welcome at the table. And Jesus comes and he does the exact same thing Moses did. Watch this. Jesus sets a table inviting us to the throne of grace, just like Moses went out to the tent of meeting. Moses said, no, God, I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to set up a tent of meeting, and we're going to have church at this tent. And here's what I love. The Bible says when Moses went out to the tent, all the people stood in their houses, and they all came out, and they stood in the doorpost of their house, and they watched. Do you know what happened at the doorpost just months earlier? The blood was put on the doorpost to represent the blood of Jesus, to give them access to something. And they didn't know about Jesus. They didn't know about any of that. All they knew is something was drawing them to the doorpost as they watched prophetically of something that would be to come. I can't go out to the tent of meeting now, but one day Jesus is going to make a way for all people to enter the tent of meeting. You are invited to the tent of meeting, and it is an incredible invitation. Listen, the very presence of God is evident, is tangible. It's a cloud. It comes, and Jesus has come. And he's already invited the presence of God there. You don't have to go and you don't have to chant and you don't have to sing and you don't have to make, you know, make weird hand motions. You don't have to recite the Lord's Prayer over and over. You don't have to burn incense or candles or take off your shoes because Jesus has already gone to the tent of meeting. He's already invited the presence of God. He's already painted blood on the doorpost so that you can enter in and commune with your heavenly Father. This is, this is the invitation. And that invitation is not dependent upon your behavior or your good deeds or your status in the church. Come on, Jesus has done it. He's done it. Jesus goes to the Father with your name written on the palm of his nail-scarred hands. Moses went to the Father, and he said, Come on, these people are still good. We can redeem this thing. Come on, God, we can do this. 
I love this. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says, Who then will condemn us? No, not a Christ. For he died for us and was raised to life and is now seated in the place of honor, don't miss this, at God's right hand pleading for us. Come on. Come on. God takes him. God takes us in front of the Father. And he goes, this is my son. (laughs) He's amazing. Come on. My nail-scarred hands and feet. This is my son. And when you see him, you see me. When you see him, you see me. So there's no condemnation when you go to the throne. Because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's saying, Ed, his blood bought. He's forgiven. He's redeemed. He is a new creation. He is amazing. And not only is he saying that to the Father, but he's saying that to you in the war room. He's reminding you every day of the things that he's saying to the Father. He's saying to you. So the things that you hear from your heavenly Father, the things that you hear from your shepherd, those are the same things he's saying to the Father. At the right hand of the Father. Making intercession constantly for you. That's an advocate. Come on. Let's do this. That's what Jesus is doing. Because Jesus is better than Moses. And that's the whole point of of Hebrews is is Paul or the writer of Hebrews says, listen, like Moses was awesome. And in the Jewish culture, Moses is kind of the man like Abraham and Moses are like the men. And God says, Moses was awesome, but this is nothing like Jesus. Jesus has paved the way for you. So it's not enough to say, man, let's have a better prayer life. Let's get it done. Create a closet. Put scriptures on the wall and go through the motions. Listen, you have to understand what the war room represents and who paved the way for you to be in that war room. It's not a room where you say chance. It is a tent with a cloud of glory on it that Jesus has already prepared for you and you just get to come. Lastly, Jesus says, no, you won't be alone for you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I love when Moses, God's like, all right, all right, I'll send, I'll send the angel. It's it's fine. The angel will go and you guys will do the promised land thing. It's fine. And Moses goes, it's not enough. And then what he says, he says, because it's your presence that sets us apart among all the people. How will they know, Lord, that we're different? How will they know that we are marked by you, that we are set apart by you, that we are endowed with power by you? How will they know unless you go with us? Your abiding presence goes with us. Moses knew something. He was tapping into something. He just couldn't get us there. And Jesus comes and says, it's to your advantage that I go away because the Holy Spirit's gonna come and you wait for him. Because when he comes, he's going to give you power. He's with you, always with you, empowering you. So it's not some distant tent that you can go to and be with God. And then for the rest of the time, you're on your own. He is abiding in you, always empowering you for his good work. This is the war room of his presence that you and I are invited to experience. 
So what are we waiting for? It starts with us saying, okay, Lord, you've done all this for me. And my job is to say, first and foremost, what am I worshiping? And why would I spend another second entertaining a golden calf that maybe satisfies for a moment but does nothing for my soul when Jesus has prepared the way for me to feast every day? And so God, I'm asking the question, like for my home, I want it oriented around the box. I want a situation where I'm coming out the first thing in the morning and I'm coming and I'm gazing upon the beauty of the Lord like Paul, like David said. I want a burning thing in my heart like Paul said that, listen, all the things that I have tried to run after are nothing in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing my shepherd. And oh, by the way, my shepherd's prepared a way for me to know him. And lastly, there's a tent that we can go and abide. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the reality of your presence. It's not a religion, it's not works. It's not good things. It's you. And Jesus, you have paved the way for your sons and daughters to walk into a new place of identity as sons and not slaves. And so God, today, it's that mindset that we choose that we are sons and daughters invited And I ask, Lord, in those places where we still identify with a slave, Jesus, that you would continue in this place of your presence to cut off those slave mentalities that hold us back from victory of your presence. And Jesus, as we behold you, we become like you. And Jesus, I ask that those things that keep us from orienting our life around your presence, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to see maybe where we've given an idol, a golden calf, a small place at the table. We've allowed a golden calf to sit on an end table in our living room without knowing it. And so God, I pray you'd open up our eyes to see those things that are keeping us from walking through the blood-bought door into the presence. Jesus, we say yes to you. We say yes to orienting our lives around you and your presence that we would walk in victory through prayer. And we give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.